Welcome to Make Me Your Voice with Pastor David Bartowell. These messages are intended to deepen your faith and trust in a living God who speaks to us with hope and reason. Today's message comes to us from the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. Good morning. Today we're going to look at a picture of God in the tabernacle. There's going to be a lot of information. I struggle with what to focus on. But what I want to focus on today is the contents of the tabernacle as commanded by God and what was in the tabernacle and how it relates and is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So that's what I want you to focus on. There's going to be a lot of details about certain things and the way they look. It all points to Jesus Christ. Okay, here we are where Israel's been rescued and they've received the Ten Commandments. Moses was 40 days and 40 nights with God on the mountain. And do you know that Israel was able to hear God speak, but they weren't able to look at him. So they heard him saying these things. How cool is that, by the way? Can you imagine like God is so holy that you can't even look at him, but he chooses to speak to us. And so he's speaking to Israel. He gives instruction on the tabernacle. So there are different tabernacles. There was the tabernacle of Moses. What's the other tabernacle? Do you know? David, because that was all portable. Now, who built the temple? Solomon, right? So that's when it actually became a fixed building. But before that, it was portable. This is amazing. So God directs Moses and Israel to make it this way. And he says in Exodus 25, 40, to see that you make them according to the pattern or the model shown you on the mountain. So Moses spent 40 days and 40 nights with God on the mountain, and God was giving him all this information. And he says here, just build it like I showed it to you, Moses. And he's saying, this is because the tabernacle on earth is a copy of the tabernacle in heaven where God dwells and where Jesus Christ ministers as our high priest on behalf of us. So I want you to connect the dots because we're talking about high priests, what the high priest did and the priests. The New Testament reveals more about this in Hebrews 8, 5. It says they serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build a tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. So God is meticulous. God is a God of order and structure. His instructions are detailed, and he uses images and pictures to remind us of who he is. So that's why I chose to name this sermon today, The God Who Remains, because he remains with us by his spirit, but also the images of God help us relate to who he is. So let's go through some of these things. God chose to remain with Israel through these images. And the first one is the Ark of the Covenant. So it's not the Ark, you know, it's not Noah's Ark. This is a piece of furniture that reminds us of God's faithfulness. So the Ark of the Covenant represents God's faithfulness. And it's appropriate that the first image we talk about today is the Ark of the Covenant. So in Exodus 25.10, God says they, and this is important, you're going to see a lot of plural pronouns because it's not just Moses building this. That would never happen. It's a corporate thing. Everybody's involved. That's why Eric was reading the scripture to remind us that there were all these people involved. They shall construct an ark 
of acacia wood. Acacia wood was an abundant wood in the wilderness, and it was a hard wood. This is so awesome because you always go, why does God choose this wood? Well, this type of wood, insects find distasteful. So no insect would be eaten this wood. So God has all figured out. Ark, the word aron, can mean coffin or chest. It's the same word that when we started this series where Moses' mother put him in that basket. It's the same word. It can mean coffin, chest. But here it's a chest. So it's for a piece of furniture. It's also known as the testimony because it holds Israel's testimony of God's faithfulness. So here's a picture of what it might have looked like. The poles there were made for carrying it because it had to be portable, remember, because they had to move different places. And it was made of wood, but it was overlaid with pure gold. And there were two winged angels called cherubim on either side. As we go through these, I want you to think about this. It's made of wood. And when we think of Jesus Christ's humanity, we think of wood because he died on a tree for our sins. But we also think of his deity because of the gold. So we'll see how these images point to Christ. So here's the items in the ark. Does anyone know what was supposed to be in the ark? Well, first, the top of the ark was called the mercy seat. And the mercy seat was surrounded by the two angels, as I said. This seat represented where God met with his people. That's why it's called the mercy seat. The word is kippur, which is often translated atonement. Yom is day, kippur, atonement, day of atonement. As we go through these, I'm going to point us to the New Testament, and we're going to look at how it's fulfilled in Christ. So the mercy seat is fulfilled in Christ, and in Romans 3.25, it says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And that's how we can meet with God, because of Christ's work and the atonement that he offers us through him. Now, the stuff that was inside the ark were the Ten Commandments. They were stone tablets written and engraved by the finger of God. And in Matthew 5.17, Jesus said, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I came to fulfill. Okay, so everything is fulfilled in Christ. Anybody know another thing in the ark? Manna. We'll get to manna in a second. That's exactly right. But Aaron's rod, Aaron's rod was in there. In Numbers 16, a rebellion breaks out against Moses by the Israelites. There was a guy named Korah. Korah was upset. Korah was a Levite. And Korah was upset that he didn't have a more prominent position in the church, well, in Israel. And he became really angry with Moses and Aaron. He said, how come we don't get those privileges? I'm a Levite. So what does God do? He sends a plague and he kills 14,700 people. That's how mad he was about this. Then the Lord tells Moses, He says, I want all the 12 tribe leaders of the 12 tribes and their households to write their name on their rod or their staff and place it in front of the Ark of the Covenant and leave it overnight. And God said, the man whom I choose to be the leader in the priesthood, his rod will sprout. So it was Aaron's rod that sprouted and produced blossoms. This was overnight. Produced blossoms from a piece of wood and almonds started growing on it. That was God's way of proving his choice as high priest. So in Hebrews 4.14, we read, Therefore, 
since we have what? A great high priest, Jesus, who has passed through the heaven. And the manna, it's the bread from heaven. And Jesus said, what did he say? I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. All these things in the ark are all fulfilled and point to Christ. Okay, so that's the Ark of the Covenant. Now we're going to move into the tabernacle. And there were specific things in certain places that where they had to go. This was a portable temple, as we said. It represented God's presence. In Exodus 25 eight, he says, Let them construct a sanctuary for who? Me, and I may dwell among them. Now remember, Israel is living during a time where Egypt was the kingdom. Egypt worshipped a lot of different gods, and they had temples. I'm sure Israel noticed them. And so God is saying, you've got to forget about all those temples, and we're going to have one temple for one God. So that's what he's doing here, and God remains with them through this tabernacle, the temple. Now, the first thing that we read in Exodus 25, the tabernacle costs money. I want us to understand that did God need Israel to do anything for him to accomplish his purpose? God doesn't need anyone or anything, right? If he did, he wouldn't be God. So what did he do? He chose Israel to partner with him and to do his work on earth. And part of that was to build a building, to build a temple, which costs money. Instead of thinking, oh, Israel had to build this, we should think, wow, what a privilege to be called to build God's temple, to build God's house. God goes on, he says in Exodus 25, 1 through 2, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, tell the sons of Israel to raise a contribution for me because buildings cost money. He goes on from every man whose heart moves him, you shall raise my contribution. So it wasn't a forced thing, but he's saying, man, heart should move. I mean, God just revealed himself to them in a major way. That's why Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, over the last month or so, I've been asking our partners to pray for growth for land. I'm going to tell you something. Have you noticed that you might have connected more to your church because of the prayer? Yeah, that's a natural thing. Because where our heart is, our treasure is. And if our heart is with God, then it should blow out to the church because we're his people. And that's what God's doing. So here's some of the things in the tabernacle. First of all, the table, the table of showbread. And this is listed in Exodus 25, 30. It says, you shall set the bread of presence on the table before me at all times. So what did the bread of presence represent? It represented the sustenance and the provision, and the presence of God. And it was 12 loaves of bread. What would that be symbolic of? The 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus, in John 6.35, is document that he said, I am, and that's not by coincidence, by the way, when he says, I am. If you've been along with us, right, is that's the name of God. Yahweh, I am. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. So the sustenance that we need is Jesus and his presence. And then there's a lampstand called a menorah. Heard of that? 
A lampstand would be the image of the kingdom of light, which is in contrast to the kingdom of darkness, which is of this world. And it's a symbol of eternal presence of God. God says the light should never go out. Why do the Jews celebrate Hanukkah? What happened? They were in a battle and they couldn't get the oil and the lights were going to go out. That can't happen. So God miraculously extended the life of the oil in the lamp and they celebrate God for that. Now, what did Jesus say? He said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Israel had a certain understanding, but we have a more full understanding of what's going on. Now there's the curtains. The curtains in the temple, they were outside, and they were made of two different things, linen and goat's hair. What would the linen, do you think, white linen represent? Purity and holiness. What might the goat hair represent? It would represent people's sin and sacrifice of the goats and the lambs. And the colors were purple for royalty, red for blood, blue for heaven. And in Isaiah 40, 22, it says, It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. What else does a curtain do? It's a barrier. So it's fulfilled. Now in Christ, the barrier has been broken. Colossians 1.20, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Then there was one more important curtain. It was the veil, right? The veil separated God and man. And the only person that could enter the Holy of Holies was the high priest. It was the most inner room of the temple. The Ark of the Covenant was placed inside the Holy of Holies. And what happened when Jesus died on the cross? You remember? Matthew 27, 51. And behold, the earthquake hit, and the veil of the temple was torn in two from bottom to top. No? From what? Top to bottom. God ripped the curtain apart because Jesus' sacrifice was acceptable. And it's not ongoing. It happened once for all, Hebrews says. We don't have to keep killing animals and things to have God's approval. All we have to do is believe in Jesus Christ. So that's amazing. Then there's the altar. The altar was for the sacrifice, and it was made of bronze. What would bronze represent? Judgment. Here's the thing. A portion of the blood of the sacrifice that was done on the altar was to be smeared on the horns. Horns represent power. So there were four horns in each corner of the altar, and the horns represent power. But here's an interesting thing. The altar horns were also a place of refuge. If you look at 1 Kings 150 and 228, a criminal whose crime was accidental could run to the temple because the altar was outside the hole and could place his hands on the horns for refuge and asylum because the blood and the power, they would claim that until proven guilty or not. We were once all criminals. You know that? And the Bible says that we were once enemies of God. And in Christ, Ephesians 1.7, read it with me. 
In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. We don't have to run to a building and find the corners of the altar and hang on for dear life. We can come to Christ who paid the price for our sins. Then we have the court and the gate. And the tabernacle and the temple was divided into two sections, the outer court where the non-priests and then later when the temple was built, the Gentiles would be able to go in that area. And the inner court was for the priests and today would call them believers. And the courts were separated by what? A gate. And in John 10, 9, what does it say? I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. It reminds us that we have entry through Jesus. He's the gate. But it also reminds us that we are in and out Christians. We don't just go into the gate. We go out and we find pasture and we lead other people, other sheep, because Jesus said there's sheep in my fold that haven't been saved yet. We go out and find them. And we bring them in. The community center, the gate OC, that's the image of the community center. There's outer courts where anybody goes and shops and learns and experiences entertainment. And just like a mini mall, it's like a normal place. But then in in the back, you have the inner courts where the local churches meet. Our goal is to get people from the outer courts, from just shopping and trying to figure it out, to being saved, and then entering the inner court and get plugged into a local church. That's the community center. And that's easy to remember, right? Why do we want it that way? Because the temple was that way. And it's the way God pictures how he reaches people at the outer court. Many people won't come into a church building, but they'll go to a mall, right? But we have a plan. We want them to get saved. I was doing some reading, and I found in the Jerusalem Post recently, there's a biblical archaeologist. His name is Dr. Scott Stripling and his team. They were excavating recently a field in Shiloh in Israel, and they think they found the horn of the altar. Now, I would never figure that out, but these are biblical archaeologists. This was underneath the ground in the city, That's pretty amazing. So we took at the tabernacle, and then now we're going to end with talking about the priests. Now, although Israel was called by God in Exodus 19.6, we read this, that you shall be a kingdom of priests, meaning all of you, Israel, are priests in the sense that you have access to me through the mediator, Moses, and we have access through the mediator, Jesus Christ. And you're also to serve me, God says, as a priest and tell the world about me. But here's the thing. The difference is now we're going to see what the high priest and the family of Aaron, who was a Levite, and he was the first high priest. Now, I want you to understand this. If we were to live in this time, it was not strange to have temples and priests and sacrificing animals. The difference is God is saying, I'm the true God. All those other gods with little g's, they're not going to get you anywhere. I'm the true God. Worship me. The first thing we find out is the priests need special clothes. So again, 
there's a way that a priest should be dressed. So in Exodus 28, 2, God says, You shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. Here's some of the things. First of all, it would be an ephod. The ephod was this outer robe. Like an apron, yeah. It's a type of apron. And the duty of the high priest was to enter into the presence of God and make atonement for the people as their mediator and to show that this person would bring the nation to Israel, but on the shoulders were inscribed the 12 tribes of Israel. So it's very meticulous thinking of this. Do you remember when King David danced, it says in his ephod? Remember, and people think that he was dancing around his underwear? That's not what was happening. If you read in 2 Samuel chapter 6, what happens is, now this is later, because this is after what we're talking about here, this is later. David is the king, and the Ark of the Covenant was stolen by who? Remember? The Philistines. And then they got it back. And David was so excited that he puts on an ephod, which was for a priest, and starts dancing like there's no tomorrow. The problem was David was a king. And his wife, Michaela, who had a tizzy fit, saw him out the window and goes, oh man, you're distinguished today. You're dressing like a priest and you're a king. And he says, you want to see how undignified I'm going to really be? Watch this. And he just starts dancing with all his might because he's so excited that they got the Ark of the Covenant back. I mean, that was the presence of God. So the king, it wasn't that David was dancing, as people say, on his underwear. He had dressed down to a priest. But I think it's so cool because he was dancing as a priest because the Ark of the Covenant is where the priests, that was their function. And isn't it Jesus, our Savior, a king and a priest? The next item of clothing is the breastplate. Now that's very ornate. There were 12 stones, beautiful, precious stones that were for each tribe of Israel inscribed on these beautiful stones. And if you think of Revelation, it talks about 12 stones and 12 gates, and it's just so miraculous. But do you know also that the Bible refers to us as stones, living stones? 1 Peter 2.5 says, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. When people say they want to disconnect from the Old Testament, you can't. You won't understand any of this. You have to know this. Next is the robe. The robe was the longer garment. And in Exodus 28:33, again, God is very intricate and descriptive. You shall make on this robe, it's hem pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet material all around, and it's hem. And check this out. And bells of gold. So the priests would walk around making a lot of noise. Between them all around, a golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate all around on the hem of the robe. It shall be on Aaron when he ministers. Here's why. Its tinkling shall be heard when he enters and leaves the holy place before the Lord so that he won't die. God didn't need to hear it. It's to remind Aaron, hey man, I'm in a holy place. That sound reminds him that I better not take this for granted. I have access to God Almighty. We need to remember 
that this sacrifice that Jesus made has allowed us to enter the Holy of Holies, and we won't die. Now, it's interesting because it kind of correlates with the armor of God, but not necessarily in Ephesians 6, where it talks about put on the full armor of God. The plate of gold is on the head, on the turban, on the head. The inscription was holy to the Lord, or literally set apart for Yahweh. Now, in the armor of God, Paul, the apostle, says put on the full armor of God. And what does he talk about? He talks about put on the helmet of salvation to remind us that we are set apart for Yahweh. We have robes. Now, that's not part of the armor of God, but we have robes as priests. Uh, We have white robes because we are the bride of Christ without blemish. We have a breastplate of righteousness because we are righteous, not because of an actual piece of clothing, but because of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, put on Christ and the ephod. We are all priests and our high priest is Jesus Christ who intercedes on our behalf. So the priests need clothes. The priests need special consecration. They need to be set apart. Not just anybody would be a priest in Israel. We are all ordained as priests, servants of Yahweh. And then there's some in the church that are ordained for different types of functions. So like you would ordain a pastor or an elder. But that doesn't mean that you're any better than the other person. That's for role and function. We're all priests. That's the main thing I want you to understand. And the word, it says, you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. That ordain word means fill the hands. It literally means fill the hands with purpose. And when I wrote my song, Lord, use my hands, use my feet. I didn't know any of this, but isn't that what it's all about? Our purpose and our work is with our hands and our feet, and our minds. So in Exodus 29.1, this is what you are to do to consecrate them so they may serve me as priests. Here's some of the things in uh, Exodus 29 that they would do to ordain the priests. First of all, they'd wash them in water. Well, that's a symbol of being clean, right? And spiritually clean. Now, in Titus 3.5, in the New Testament, read it with me. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Remember when Jesus said, come to me and you'll have living water? That's the Holy Spirit. And then what they would do with the high priest, they would pour anointing oil on his head. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And then they would apply, and this is interesting, they would apply the blood of the sacrifice to the right earlobe, the right thumb, and the right big toe, which is a symbol of being fully consecrated. But if you think about it, an earlobe represents listening, right? Thumbs represent doing. And big toes (laughs) represent walking. And we, as believers, are to listen, do, and walk. So our entire body is consecrated for the purpose of God. And the priests were now living sacrifices. And one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Romans 12.1. So it's about living and hearing and doing God's word. Next, the priests have a special purpose. Okay? And they were to serve God, but they were also like the original worship leaders. And by the way, everyone should be a worship leader. I think sometimes we forget because there's a stage and there's seats and we think it's a concert. 
we're not seeing it as, oh, they're helping me into worship, but they're not like just doing everything. That's like everyone just watching everyone do anything. That's not what it's about. But this priests have a special purpose. Every civilization worships. You know that? It's not whether you will worship. It's who or what you will worship. Every heart longs for purpose. Every heart longs to be loved. Every heart longs for something that's greater than himself or herself. So worship is an integral part of the DNA, how God made us. Exodus 29, 24 says, You shall put all these, the sacrifice, in the hands of Aaron and in the hands of his sons and shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. So a wave offering, what's that like this? You know, wave offering. It's like, yeah, the wave, wave. But no, that's interesting, right? The wave. Here's the thing. This was a sacrificial gesture that would represent Yahweh first. And everything the priest had belonged to him. To acknowledge who gave them their provision, now I can use it because I remember who it came from. And I have perspective. Okay, we need to be remembering where it came from and then going, thank you, Lord. In Exodus 29, 25, he says, you shall take them, the sacrifice from their hands and offer them up in smoke on the altar on the burnt offering for a soothing aroma before the Lord. It is an offering by fire to the Lord. The word burnt offering in Hebrew is hola, not Spanish, hola, but hola. And it's the same word used with Abraham in Genesis where he was going to take his son as a ola, a burnt offering, but then God provided a lamb. What it is, it's a sacrifice of obedience. And it's pleasing to the Lord because God is our Father. And when we give a sacrifice of obedience, an ola, that means that we're saying no to ourselves and we're giving ourselves to the Lord. And if you're a parent, wouldn't it be amazing if your kids did constant olas? Like, I just want to please you, Dad. I want to please you, Mom. Just tell me, what is it that you need me to do today, Father? Because I just want to serve you. I'm not here for me. I love you, and I live for you. And I want you to have a really pleasant life. Yeah. But isn't that our Father? I want it to be about you. And Ola, this is a burnt offering because I'm saying no to myself. I'm dying on the altar for you, Lord. That's what this is about. And in Psalm 141, David writes, May my prayer, by the way, a prayer could be spoken or sung. Most of Israel's prayers, a lot of them were sung. That's why they're psalms, which stands for song. So when we sing, and we come in corporate worship in God's house, and we sing together, it's an ola. It's a burnt offering. It's not just, oh, yeah, they're performing on stage, and we sing a few songs, and then it gets to the sermon. No, it should be constant ola, even now. As God is revealing things to you, you say, yes, Lord, die to myself. And he says, may it be lifted up like an evening sacrifice, the incense. And then in Revelation, we see the smoke of the incense together with the prayer of God's people went up before God from the angels. And so our prayers and our worship is like incense. 
And I'm saying, Lord, use my hands, use my feet, sweet incense to the Lord. And that's why the altar of incense was an important part of the tabernacle and again has poles because everything had to be carried from place to place. And it was uh, made of wood but ordained with pure gold. And the incense would burn each morning and each evening as a symbol of the prayers and worship of the people. In Revelation 5.8, we read, And the creatures and the elders in heaven, they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Do you know that your prayers are in the hands of God? And they smell good because you are putting him, you're saying, Lord, I, I need you. You're Yahweh. First Thessalonians 5.17. By the way, if you want to memorize a verse, I would say this one. It's two words. What does it say? Pray continually, morning and evening, all day long. When you wake up in the middle of the night, and you're frustrated and stressed out in the middle of the day. You pray and you thank God. And it's like incense and you worship him. It's an all day communion. Now, all this is fulfilled in Christ. In Romans 8.34, it says, who condemns? No one. Because Christ Jesus died for you. More than that, he was raised to life. And guess where he is? He is at the right hand of God praying for you. Sometimes when you don't know what to pray, you know what I do? I say, Lord Jesus, please pray for me. I don't know. And then another place, the Holy Spirit says, the Holy Spirit prays for you. Holy Spirit, I don't know what to pray. Please pray. And then finally, the sacrifice was for atonement. Aaron shall make atonement. And it's on its horns once a year and with the blood of the sin of the offering of atonement for once a year. That was Yom Kippur, the day of atonement through your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. And again, Jesus was sacrificed once for all. And then the next thing we find out is the priests need to eat. They need to be provided for. In Exodus 29, 32, it says, Aaron and his sons shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket. So the priests, because they were set apart to work for the Lord on the people's behalf, they were to be paid, so to speak, by the people. And so it says here, they get to eat the bread and the meat. So where did the bread and the meat come from? The people. So a portion of the priests' compensation came from the bread basket and the sacrifice, and the other portion would come from the tithes and the offerings. These were the ones who were set apart and ordained as priests, high priests. They would serve in the temple while the other people were doing their jobs, and they would do their job, and they would be provided for by the people. The point is the priests were never to have to be concerned about working outside the temple because they were called to focus on the temple and serving God and the people that way. One of the reasons Israel was sent into captivity because they neglected the priests. And the priests came back, and they were, had to work 18 jobs because the people weren't providing for the workers in the temple. Uh, Warren Wearsby writes, If the priests were faithful in teaching the word and encouraging Israel to obey the Lord, they would never lack for sustenance, for the people would be sensitive to God's word, bring the required sacrifices and offerings to the tabernacle, and thereby provide for God's servants. Sadly, as time went on, the priests didn't do that. They weren't faithful, and they started to think about only themselves. But here's the bigger picture. God provides for everyone, whether they are serving, so to speak, in the temple as priests, 
And remember, this is Old Testament language. We're all priests. Some are set apart to serve the church in pastor teaching roles and those kind of things. But we're all priests. And God provides for every priest. We never should worry because we are a royal priesthood. He's going to provide for us. And then the last thing is everyone has a job to do. Everyone has a job to do. God has been very detailed about how he wants things done, and he didn't expect Moses and Aaron to do it by themselves. He did it through the people, and he ordains everyone to do certain things. That's why I started it off with the scripture that Eric read, and I'm only going to read a portion of it, but he says, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur. Interesting. I like to look at the names, what they mean. Bezalel, what is El? God. Bezalel is shadow. In the shadow of God, in the background. And he was the son of Uri, which means God is my light, because it's Uriah, Yah. God is my light. And who's her? What did he do? Remember, he was one of the ones that lifted uh, Moses' hands. All these people, isn't it cool that they got their name in the Bible? And they're just doing ordinary things. Like this Bezalel guy was really good at craftsmanship and stuff. And he goes, I filled him with the Spirit of God, with the ability and intelligence, with knowledge and craftsmanship to devise artistic things, to work in gold. What I love about God is he never asks us to do something that he doesn't provide the resources. You know, I always think when God says plant a church, yeah, but how's that going to work? Don't worry about it. I got all the resources. They're just not there yet. And then God brings the resources. So there's no coincidence or irony that you are here, part of this church. God has called you here. And you're the way he's going to build it and grow it. Isn't that awesome? And you can be in the shadows or you could be called to preach. We're all in the shadow of God, by the way. Don't get that wrong. In a sense, it's all about him. But we're all different roles and different ways of doing it. My grandmother's 100 years old, and she still is able to walk around. And when I prayed at the party the other day, she started crying because she loves Jesus. And she's 100, and she can't really do much. But whatever she can do, she's still here. Everyone is a priest. So real quick, just finding yourself in the story. Jesus said, remain in me as I remain in you. So first, the Ark of the Covenant is God's testimony in your life. It's the testimony that God has given you, and you carry that with you, and you share it with people. Next, the tabernacle is God's presence in your life. God lives inside of you. The Bible says that we are the temple of God. And then last, the priesthood is God's purpose for your life. God has ordained you to be a priest and to serve and worship him. And the tabernacle was portable. And it's where Christ dwelled. You are portable. It's where Christ dwells. And we're going to worship him that way. So let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for revealing yourself in such a great, detailed way in the temple, in the tabernacle. And thank you, Lord Jesus, for fulfilling all these things. And for by your spirit living inside of us, we are walking tabernacles. But we're not supposed to be silos. We're supposed to connect with other portable tabernacles and worship together corporately and build your church. And I pray, Lord, that you would pour out all the resources that are already there. 
We just need to trust you, Lord, and each person do their job and their calling and trust you, Lord, so that this church can be all that it's meant to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor David Bartowell's message reminds us that God speaks to us with hope and reason so that we can be His voice in this world. Please join us again for Make Me Your Voice, a ministry of the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. We would love to have you visit if you're in the area. For more information or to find our location, please visit thegateoc.com.